Morning again. It's good to see you, especially those who are visiting with us. Appreciate your presence. And invite you to take your Bibles in just a minute and turn the passages that we'll be studying together. You might find what's been taught here to be the truth. That's our only purpose here is to simply be God's people by following His Word as He's directed. Uh, if you wasn't with us last week, we, we started by asking the question about what if an individual is kind of new on the religious scene and wants to know what to do to be a Christian. Uh, where does he go to find the answer? Uh, if he goes to all the different denominations throughout the world, in fact, you can go to the ones throughout this county. You can go from church building to church building, and you can find a different answer as to how to be a Christian at each place that you go. You're going to find it pretty hard to find what to do to be just a Christian. And yet, the Word of God gives us the answer to that. The reason that we have what we have in the New Testament is how to be a Christian and what to do when we become a Christian. There's warnings there if we don't become Christians. God sent his son to die for us in order that we might belong to him. And that's what the word Christian means. It refers to those who belong to Christ. There's a lot of people who claim to belong to Christ. And yet to belong to Christ, to have the forgiveness of our sins through his blood, uh, there's a process. Uh, it involves believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he came to this earth, that he died, was buried, and was raised on the third day. It involves the willingness to change our will or to repent. Repentance means to change our will, to change our will from, from following after the word, doing our own will, to doing the will of God, submitting to his will. We must be willing to confess our belief in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. And we must be willing to be baptized into Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. Now there's a lot of other things that are taught throughout the world. We looked at some of those in the past couple of lessons. But really what matters is not what I think or, or you think or really what anybody might think. What matters is what the Bible says and what we said that God has done, especially through the book of Acts, is that he's given us nine examples in the New Testament of those who have become Christians and how they became Christians. And we see that each one of these things, uh, belief, repentance, and confession, and baptism are all involved. When you read through these examples, and we read these last week, that's what we done. We read through each one of these examples, and we saw that, that sometimes belief is mentioned, sometimes repentance, or confession, or baptism, most of the time when they're not mentioned specifically, they're at least implied that these people also did these other things. But we also saw that in every case, it mentions that they were baptized. And what's so interesting is that most of the denominations, this is the very thing that is denied that has to do anything with salvation. They'll say, well, you, you need to believe, you need to change your will, you need to repent, and, and you need to be willing to confess. But most say that you don't have to be baptized to be saved. The baptism is something that you do after you're saved. That's an outward sign of an inward grace. It's something to show that you've, that you've been saved. And yet what we find in the New Testament, with all nine examples that we have in the New Testament, that each individual was baptized. And we saw that there was an urgency about it. It wasn't something that was put off, uh, like many of the denominations today, because they don't see it as an urgent thing. They don't see it as a part of what we do uh, to become Christians to belong to Christ, to be in Christ. 
It's something that they'll put off to a later time. And we see, for example, with the Ethiopian eunuch, he said, look, right after he had Jesus preach to him, he said, look, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he proceeded to be baptized. Philip and the eunuch went down to the water and he baptized him. We look at uh, the Philippian jailer, for example. Here's a man who had undergone an earthquake and it was past midnight. Uh, he'd, he'd lost his jail. He thought he'd lost his prisoners. He almost committed suicide as a result, but Paul stopped him from that. He comes in and wants to know what to do to be saved. He's told to believe in the Lord Jesus. He, he, and yet he'd never heard of Jesus. And he goes and they speak the word of the Lord to him. They preach Jesus to him. And again, preaching Jesus is evidently different than what most preach Jesus today because when Philip preached Jesus to the Ethiopian, he, he immediately mentioned baptism. Baptism must be involved in this process of becoming a Christian. It's no more important than belief or repentance or confession, but we see in every case that it was involved in the examples of conversion. And after they spoke the word of the Lord to this Philippian jailer, it says he was baptized the same hour of the night. If ever there was a time to put off baptism, this would have been it, at least to the next morning. This man had gone through an earthquake, all these things is in the middle of the night now, probably uh, one or two o'clock in the morning, if not later, and these men's backs are beaten. They've been in prison, but it says they baptized him. There's always an urgency to it. We saw that not only do we find this in the nine examples of the New Testament, but that the words of Jesus and the words of the writers of the New Testament who were inspired, agree with this. Uh, Jesus said in John 8, 24, unless you believe in me, you'll die in your sins. And Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says, without faith it's impossible to please God. We must believe. Jesus talked about repentance. These people who were preaching Jesus were simply preaching what Jesus had said all along. Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, unless you repent, you'll likewise perish. So we must repent. And Paul said in Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, that in times of ignorance got overlooked, but now declaring that all men everywhere repent. So we must repent. Jesus said in Matthew 10 and verse 32 that we must be willing to confess him before men if we expect him to confess us before the Heavenly Father. We must be willing to confess. And we read in Romans 10 and, and verse 10 that by the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So it's involved in the process of salvation. But so is baptism for Jesus and his words to the apostles just before his ascension said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. That's what Jesus said. And the apostle Paul in Galatians 3 and verse 26 and 27 confirmed that when he said that we are baptized into Christ and clothe ourselves with Christ. Now, this is what the New Testament teaches. And this is what we find in all nine examples that are given in the New Testament. Why is it that baptism is emphasized? Evidently, God knew that people were going to have a problem with that. And people do have a problem. Most people you ask today say, well, baptism doesn't have anything to do with salvation. The water doesn't save you. And that's true. Water does not save you. It's simply an appeal to God for a good conscience. That's what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, or chapter 3 and verse 21. He says it's an appeal to God for good conscience. But he says baptism does save you. Not the water itself. He says not a washing of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus. 
What I want to consider this morning is, is why baptism? That's a pretty good question, isn't it? If all nine examples in the New Testament, sometimes it mentions belief, sometimes repentance, sometimes confession. Every time it mentions baptism, why the emphasis on baptism? Well, I think it helps us to understand, first of all, the connection between this and the blood of Jesus. Jesus shed his blood in his death. We see that in, Matthew, or in John the 19th chapter in verse 34. Jesus hung on the cross and he shed his blood. In fact, John was a witness. He saw him even when they pierced his side. He said he saw there come forth both blood and water. And there's a connection between blood and water. There's a connection between the death of Jesus, his blood, and baptism. Most people that you'll talk to in the religious world will agree that the blood of Jesus saves us and that we have to come in contact with the blood of Jesus in order to be saved. Most people will agree with that. And yet, at the same time, they'll turn around and say, well, baptism doesn't have anything to do with it. Evidently, they've not read and studied the New Testament. Every example we've seen talks about there being baptism in the conversion of a person who is coming to Christ for salvation. What is the connection between baptism and the blood of Jesus? I think we see it in these passages. We know that forgiveness is found in the blood of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 we have the forgiveness, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, the forgiveness of our trespasses. How does it come? Through his blood. You've got to come in contact with the blood of Jesus. How do you do that? Well, we can't apply the blood to us, but we've got to come in contact with it in order to be saved. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, the first time, and you remember we looked at this, this was the first example in the Bible that we have of people becoming Christians, the first time the gospel was ever preached. Ten days before Jesus had told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved, he that disbelieves shall be condemned, and he told them to wait in Jerusalem there until they received power. They received the Holy Spirit, began to speak in the language that people could understand them, to show God's approval of this. It was a miraculous thing. He was speaking by inspiration. And when he finished his sermon talking about how God had made Jesus, both Lord and Christ, whom they crucified, the men cried out, being pricked in the heart, and said, what shall we do? And in verse 38, he said, repent and be baptized, everyone in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, he'd been talking about Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, but he connects that with baptism. Forgiveness of sins Ephesians 1 verse 7 says comes through the blood of Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, he says repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. When you talk about salvation in general, and when you're talking about being forgiven of your sins, you're talking about salvation, right? He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, right? That's what Jesus said. Well, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 9, it talks about how that we have redemption or justification through his blood. We've been justified by his blood. We shall be saved from the wrath through him. We are saved through him. We're saved through his blood. Justified by his blood. To be justified is to be free of guilt. That's to have your sins forgiven. 
to be justified just as though you've never sinned. How's it come through his blood? He will save you from his wrath. Salvation comes through the blood of Jesus. When you look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, as we mentioned just a minute ago, Peter said, and he'd been talking about the water of the flood and how through water, that is by water, Noah and his family were saved. How did water save them? Well, the same water that destroyed the earth also raised the ark above the destruction and delivered it unto salvation, unto safety. He said, in the light figure, baptism now does save you. Not a washing of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. That's forgiveness of sin, isn't it? To have your conscience clean. That's justification, free of guilt. He said, baptism now saves you, not a washing of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus. No power in the water. Power is in Jesus through his resurrection. There's a, there must be a connection. When you talk about sins being washed away, that's another way of talking about salvation. That's another way of talking about having your sins forgiven. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 14, in that vision that John the apostle had, he saw these people. And the elder there that was speaking to him said, Who are these? He said, Lord, you know. He said, These are those who have washed their robes and made them white and the blood of the Lamb. How are we cleansed? How are your robes made white? I tell you, we soil our robes, as it were, when we sin, right? But Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 says, Though your sins be as scarlet, they be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they can be like wool. No matter how dark your past is, if you're willing to come and come in contact with the blood of Jesus, it'll cleanse you one. It'll make you white. That's what those people who he saw in the vision were. These are those who washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It's through the blood of Jesus that we have forgiveness. It's through the blood of Jesus that we have salvation. It's through the blood of Jesus that we're washed and made white. When the Apostle Paul had met the Lord on the road. You remember he was not clean. He had been persecuting the church. He'd been holding the clothes and giving hearty approval for men being killed in the name of the Lord. When the Lord stopped him there on the way to Damascus, blinded him by the great light that appeared from him. Saul said, Lord, what shall I do? He said, you go into the city, Damascus, and there to be told you what to do. Remember, a man by the name of Ananias came to him. And Paul had been there with a penitent attitude, three days, he'd not eaten anything, been praying. But he was still in sin. He'd asked what to do. He told him he'd be told you what to do. Ananias, in Acts 22 in verse 16, told Saul, why do you delay? Arise and be baptized and what? Wash away your sins. Now, we see that on one hand, it's the blood of Jesus that provides forgiveness, salvation, washes us, makes us white. And then we see these passages, and there's others that we could compare, that talks about forgiveness of sin coming through being baptized for the forgiveness of sin. Baptism now saves you. Arise and be baptized in Wash away your sins. Well, is there a connection here or is there a contradiction? 
Well, we know there's, there's no contradiction. God does not contradict himself. God's all-powerful. God knows. He has his plan of salvation. And if he has inspired these men to say these things, he's not going to contradict himself talking about that forgiveness comes and salvation and being washed comes through blood and then contradict himself saying that baptism provides forgiveness, salvation, and, and washing. There has to be a connection. How do we see that connection? I think if you'll turn over in your Bible to Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, you see the connection. Here's the connection. Paul is talking to people in Rome who belong to Christ. He began talking, to, and his letter is speaking to the saints at Rome. Saints are simply those who've been sanctified, those who've been set apart by the blood of Jesus. He's talking to people who've been saved. He's talking to those who belong to Christ. He's talking to Christians who lived in Rome. And he's reminding them of what they've done. He's reminding them of what they have as a result of Jesus Christ. Notice in chapter 6 and verse 3, he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. What's the connection between baptism and the blood of Jesus? You remember we said that Jesus shed his blood in his death and we have to come in contact with the blood of Jesus. And we said most people will agree with that, that the blood of Jesus saves us. But you've got to come in contact with that blood. How do you come in contact with the blood of Jesus? You can't take and apply it to your head. Can't take and apply the blood of Jesus to your body, to your soul. How do you do that? Jesus shed his blood in his death. To come in contact with the blood of Jesus is to come in contact with the death of Jesus. He says you do that through baptism. Isn't that right? He said, do you not know that all those who have been baptized into Christ, have been baptized into his death. Here's the picture that he's given. He's given the picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And just as Jesus died and was buried and was raised, we died of sin. We're buried with him, into him, into Christ, and raised. And that's the picture that we get? He said, do you not know? He's talking to Christians. He's reminding them, what have you done? Why were you baptized? You know, if the Lord had said, stand on your head for forgiveness, you know what we need to do? We need to try our best to stand on our head. It would be a lot easier for some of you with the rest of us, but we'd have to try to stand on our head. But God didn't just arbitrarily pull something out of the air and say, I want you to do this in order to be saved. The reason God chose baptism is that there is a connection. There's a similarity. Just as Jesus died and was buried and raised, we need to die to sin. We're dead in sin. And we want to be alive. How do you get there? Well, some people say, as we've been talking about, they say just believe in the Lord Jesus and accept him as your personal Savior. Pray God for the sake of your son Jesus come into my heart. That's what most people say. But that's not what the Bible says. We saw nine examples of people, yes, they believed and they're Repenting, they're willing to confess. But every one of them were baptized and there was an urgency about it. Why is it? It's because without baptism, 
there is no means of coming in contact with the death of Jesus. But we've got to come in contact with the blood of Jesus in order to be saved. How do you do that? He said, do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ, just to underscore the word into. If you're not into something, then you're out of something, right? You're separated from it until you come into it. How do I come into the death of Jesus? How am I buried into his death? By being immersed in baptism. He said, just as Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. When they took Jesus off the cross, he was dead. In fact, when Joseph of Arimathea wanted the body of Jesus, before that would happen, they had to go and get permission from Pilate, and Pilate wanted it assured that he was dead. They were crucifying him. They were giving him capital punishment, death, and he was going to be sure that the letter of the law was, of the Roman law was carried out, that he was dead, and that's why they came, and they pierced his side to be sure he was dead. John said, I saw both blood and water come forth. We've got to come in contact with that blood. Jesus died on the cross and he was buried in a tomb. And then three days later, just as he predicted, he was raised alive by the power of God for our justification. We are justified by his what? By his death, by his blood. One the same, by his sacrifice, you can say that. When you talk about the sacrifice of Jesus, you're talking about the blood of Jesus. When you talk about the blood of Jesus, you're talking about his death. The death, burial, and resurrection. That's the, that's the gospel. That's what we remembered this morning when we took the, the bread. We remembered his body. When we took the uh, fruit of the vine, we remembered his blood. We remembered the death of Jesus. And we remembered until he comes again because we're proclaiming his resurrection. Jesus died and was buried and was raised alive. Here we are, dead in sin. And he goes on and talks about that. And verse 5, we become united with him in the likeness of his death. Certainly we also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Known this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that no longer be slave to sin. We were dead in sin and we died to sin. That's a change of will. That's repentance, isn't it? You believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of God, and you're willing to repent, turn your back, crucify the old person that you once were. What do you do with a dead person? You crucify the old person that you were, you need to bury him. When they crucified Jesus, they took him off the cross and they buried him. You're dead in sin, you die to sin, you die to the world, what do you need to do? You need to be buried. He said, do you not know that all of you who are baptized into Christ and baptized into his death, that's where he shed his blood, that's where we come in contact with it. And he said, just as Jesus was raised to the glory of the Father, so we too are raised to walk in newness of life. We're raised. Raised from where? We're raised from being buried. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead, we are raised from this state of spiritual death unto life. That's being born again, isn't it? New life. Newness of life. You know, Chris read to us this morning 
same thing. He's just talking to different people. You look over at Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12 that was read to us this morning in the scripture reading. Colossians 2 and uh, verse 12, he's talking to Christians. They had been buried with him. He's talking about Christ. Buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you were dead in your transgressions and your uncircumcision of the flesh. And he's made you alive together, having forgiven us all our transgressions. How did he do it? Well, he done it through the death of Jesus. He done it through the blood of Jesus. But you see, again, he ties it in with being buried in baptism and raised forgiven. If a person wants to know what to do to be saved, as we said, they can go to all the denominations and find about as many different answers as they go to denominations to ask. <coughs> but what matters is what the Bible says. All nine examples tells us that we need to believe, repent, confess. Emphasis is put on baptism. Why the urgency? Why the urgency? Why be baptized the same hour of the night? Why say, look, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And stop the chair and be baptized right there. Well, because without being buried into Christ, I'm outside of Christ. If I'm outside of Christ, I don't have salvation. If I'm outside of his death, I'm outside his blood. I've not come in contact with him. If you're here this morning and you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and you're willing to die to sin, you're willing to confess what you believe, you need to be baptized. Not because I say so or because it's some church doctrine. There's no church of Christ doctrine. There's only the doctrine of Christ and the church is his people. We just need to follow what he says. Because until we do that, we're outside of Christ. You look over at Ephesians chapter and here he's talking to people and reminding them of what they were before they did this. In Romans, he's telling them what they had done by repenting and being baptized, being raised to walk in the of life. Here he's talking to people and reminding them of what they were before they were baptized into Christ, into his death. He said in verse 12, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. If you've not been buried into Christ, into his death, you're separate from Christ. What is the result of that? He said, then you're excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope, and you're without God in the world. If you're outside of Christ, you're outside of God. God sent his son that you might have fellowship with him, and to have that fellowship with the Father, you've got to come to the Son. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. How do you get to him? It's through being buried. I don't tell you, that's not what most people teach. I want you to compare what the Bible teaches with what the denominations teach. The denominations teach, yes, we're dead in sin and we need to get saved, right? And they say the way you get saved, just believe. Believe. How many times have you heard Billy Graham say, pray this prayer, God, for the sake of your son Jesus, come into my heart at the end of the crusade. That's all he'll say. That's not what the apostle said. Acts chapter 2, when people say, what do I need to do to be saved? 
He said, repent. Let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what we read in the Bible. The denomination says you're dead in sin and then you get saved. You're made alive spiritually. And then a little later on, then you, then you get baptized. Well, baptism is a burial, isn't it? That's what he said in Romans 6. You see how backwards that is? That doesn't even make good sense, does it? You, you're dead in sin. What do you do with something dead? You bury it. That's what I did with Jesus. He died on the cross and buried him and he was raised. He said, you're dead in sin. You're buried in baptism. You were raised and made alive. Denominationalism teaches that you're dead in sin. You're made alive. And then you're, you're buried. That's been buried alive. Now they'll vote on you for you to do that. Most of them will. Do the right hand fellowship, vote you into their denomination. You don't read about that in the New Testament. Back in Acts chapter 2, it's people. In fact, after he told them to repent and be baptized, everyone in the name of Jesus Christ, Acts 2, 38, he, and he went on in verse 40, with many other words, exhorting them to be saved from this perverse generation. Verse 41 says, those who received his words were baptized. About 3,000 of them. 3,000 did this right here. And when you read verse 47 of Acts chapter 2, the last verse there, it says, that the Lord was adding to the church. What's the church? It's God's assembly. His people. He was adding to his assembly, adding to the church daily, those who were being saved. How are you saved? By the blood of Jesus. How do you reach the blood of Jesus? By being buried with him in baptism. They all done it. And the ones who were coming after that, God was adding them to his church. Don't read about anybody voting anybody in, do you? Read about God. As soon as a person did this, God added them to his church. But you can't be dead in sin, be made alive and then buried alive. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches all nine examples of the New Testament. It agrees with the words of Jesus, it agrees with the words of the writers of the New Testament. And the emphasis it's upon baptism. Not that baptism is more important than any of the others. God evidently just knew that folks were going to have a problem and emphasized it. And I think the emphasis too is because there's where the connection of the death of Christ is. It's through being buried with him. You know, when it, every other passage where it, when it talks about belief or it talks about repentance or it talks about confession, it's interesting when you're reading the Bible, it'll say all of those things are unto salvation. Belief is unto salvation. Penance is unto salvation. Confession is unto salvation. But when you read about baptism, it says it's into. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 27. We're all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For if men have been baptized into Christ, have called themselves with Christ. There's another into it. How do you get into Christ? Believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized into his death. If you're here this morning and you want to do that, there's water prepared, garments prepared, so you can be baptized. All I've done this morning is try to preach Jesus. Just like Philip did. Just like Paul did. And those people who heard that Say, look, here's water. What prevents me being baptized? And look, here's water. What prevents you from being baptized? It's only your will. You believe that Jesus is the Christ.
Maybe you've done that in the past. You've not been living like you ought to. You need to repent. We'll pray with you, for you. First John chapter 1, verse 9 says, We're willing to confess our sins. He's faithful and righteous to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're here and need to obey, let us assist you. Come forward right now while we stand and sing the song.